Dear listeners, Sairam and greetings from Prashanti Nilayam. Welcome to our radio program, Afternoon Satsang. This is a segment of Radio Sai's Thursday Live, hosted by Prem and Arvind at 12.30pm Indian Standard Time on Thursdays, only on Asia's stream of Radio Sai Global Harmony. The discussion is on the Ramakatha Rasavahini, a book written by Swami, and today's episode was first broadcast live on 22nd May 2014. Have a listen please. Offering humble pranams at Bhagwan's lotus feet. Dear listeners, we commence this week's episode of Afternoon Satsang. And if you are a regular follower of our program, you'll know that this is Prem from Team Radio Sai. And as always, I'm with Arvind. Before we begin this week's episode, which is, as you know, going to be about the Ramkata Raswani, let us all offer our most humble pranams at Bhagwan's lotus feet. Shri Raghavam Dasharatatmajamaprame Sita Patim Dear listeners, it is with humble pranams at Bhagwan's lotus feet, at the lotus feet of Lord Sri Rama and of course prostrations to his eternal devotee, the Chiranjeevi Lord Hanuman who is always present whenever the Ramakatha is narrated or a satsang is done. Pranams to all and greetings on this beautiful afternoon. Last week we were talking about how Lord Rama and his three brothers went on a pilgrimage. It was more than just a pilgrimage in the sense that it was not just about visiting the temples and holy spots and praying and offering prostrations to the gods there. It was more about an educational tour, getting to know the whole kingdom, getting to know the way the people lead their lives, getting to know of their problems, getting to know of their aspirations, which is very, very important for a ruler. A ruler must be in connect with the people of the country and then alone will his or her decisions be able to help the people and help the whole nation to progress. Now, this whole pilgrimage, we call it pilgrimage, but this whole educational tour, which we shall call as a pilgrimage, came to an end as the four brothers neared Ayodhya. And as they reached Ayodhya, there were celebrations galore. And Swami in the Ramkata Rasavahini gives a beautiful description of how the different bands started playing, there were the trumpets, there were the different musical accompaniments, there were flowers, there were festoons, there was happiness, there was joy, there was singing, there was dancing, there was merriment, all in anticipation of the return of the four princes. You 
know prem i feel that when we read that description we try to build that in our own imagination an easier way to understand how it might have been those days will be just to reminisce the beautiful welcome that we used to give swami when he came to puttaparthi or when he came to brindavan true you know other than the times when swami used to come in at 4 o'clock 4:30 sometimes to surprise all of us in the morning huh? right in the morning i remember once we all uh, lined the main roads of puttaparthi because swami was coming at around 4 or 5 in the morning mm-hmm. so we all just got out of our beds and in our bed clothes we were standing on the road holding candles welcoming swami is other than those times i think we would be we sitting in the mandir waiting for swami and there would always be that uh, group of dancers from the school from the high secondary school there would always be a bangda dance or a, a rajasthani style dance or whatever i remember the welcome would begin somewhere i am talking about puttaparthi now somewhere near the hospital or the mamilkunta cross where we take a right. turn into puttaparthi i remember there used to be at least 8 or 9 motorcycle escort boys who will be waiting there and among them also there will be one pilot vehicle who will actually zoom ahead of the car with a flag and with a siren to indicate that the lord is arriving and the student escorts would be on either side of the car and the car would be brought in this kind of motor procession but that was from the student side from the devotee side when we see i think there would be at least about 400 to 500 you know rangolis chalk drawings with colors on the road itself and about 1 hour to 2 hours before swami's arrival if anyone were to go on that road on the puttaparthi main road and the hospital road it will be actually heartbreaking you know because those rangolis those drawings welcoming swami will be so beautiful and so colorful on the road that you'll just not have the heart to drive over them so invariably the traffic would come to a standstill and swami's car would come on these uh, drawings and that's what rangolis and as swami goes over the rangolis there would be people throwing flowers on the car when uh, swami's car finally arrives at the mandir it will literally be a bouquet of at least 20 30 varieties of flowers from roses to jasmine to chrysanthemums to dahlias name it all sorts of flowers and people would get so thrilled and one more thing that you would notice is uh, probably this didn't happen during rama's times because swami would always be on one side of the car and that message you know would travel a little faster than the car so everybody would know and even as you go to line up along the road you will see a greater crowd on one side of the road and a lesser crowd on the other side and you will automatically know on which side swami is seated and therefore there would always be this queue now since rama and his brothers returned on the chariot i think they were more or less centrally placed and so they would have been equal crowds on either side of the road but in swami's case as i said this was different there would be more crowds on the swami side of the car and swami's car would reach the mandir and as swami comes in as you said there would be the dancers and everything and a swagatam song this is another beautiful concept for every arrival almost every arrival when swami came a new song would be composed because you know each situation would be different sometimes swami would be coming in the first week of june itself and then that time it is such a joy because you are just joining the college joining the school and swami is coming sometimes it would take 20 30 days and you will be wondering swami when will he come when will he come one week is over i mean especially for the new students i remember when i joined swami took almost 3 weeks after i joined to come from brindavan to puttaparthi so i was almost thinking swami i joined here for you and without you there is nothing else to look forward to for me because there is nothing special here the special thing about this place is swami and that is more special than anything else in the universe but swami you are not here so it would lead up to pining i remember at the end of one week there would be some teachers who would go from the hostel to brindavan for darshan on the sunday and through their hands we would send a whole bundle of letters and you know it prem you know whether or not swami is you know in good talking terms with the teacher or not because that happens it's a personal relationship and each person goes through his ups and downs with swami but irrespective of that when these group letters would go invariably swami would receive it because every time when we have sent we have always received the news from the teachers who come back that you know swami accepted the letters so swami would accept it and so therefore that time when swami comes to puttaparthi it's a different kind of feeling we are all very eagerly pining for him wanting him so the kind of feelings are different from the feelings of pleasant surprise when he comes immediately and therefore the song that time will reflect that so accordingly the mood and tune of this welcome song would have been made and i think if any listener just performs a simple search on radio sai site you will see a plethora of swagatam songs some in hindi some in telugu some in english all these songs are definitely a tribute to the rich variety and diversity of feelings that swami aroused in the hearts of the students every time he arrived either at puttaparthi or brindavan and you know <laughs> being uh, here with swami i find it easier to recall the days of welcoming swami and then impress the same upon lord rama too and that of course you know the details of the celebration might be different at least for me most of the memories of welcoming swami were those of how he welcomed swami in brindavan mm-hmm. and i remember one of these years when we sat 
early in the morning. I think we went to Thrai Lawns at around 4.35 in the morning and we sat there till about 6, 6.30 when Swami came. Thrai Brindavan is Swami's residence. Right. Brindavan. It has those beautiful lawns around it. Mm. And that happened to be in December. Oh, okay. chill. In Bangalore, <laughs> in December. And Swami came in and I remember how cold it was, but just that excitement of receive Swami was keeping us all sitting there and we were soaked because there was so much of dew on the grass. Mm. When Swami came, you should have seen the surprise on Swami's face. Oh, okay. Almost like Swami's expressed as though I never thought it will be so cold. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, I still remember the escort police jeep which had come. Hmm. They had come driving all the way in an open jeep and the inspector got on almost half frozen. And, <laughs> you know, those are very beautiful memories because the description of the event or the celebration might be different but that eagerness was the same. Hmm. You know, the excitement which Swami brought when he was coming back to Pasti back to Brindavan or going to Kodak and all of, for that matter, whichever place, I am sure even the celebrations in Hajji and Shimla would have been no less. You know, I was just coming to that, you know, Prem, because I feel one of the best welcomes ever that I have seen was the one at Shimla. You know, when Swami's flight landed in Shimla. If you see the Shimla airport, the place there is so small that you cannot actually build a huge airport. And from far away, when you look at it, it appears as though the conical tops of two hills have been sliced across mm-hmm. and that flat land made available has been converted into an airport. It almost looks like that. And therefore, big planes cannot land in Shimla. And uh, so, Swami had told all of us students to travel by bus and be there to receive him. I think more than to receive him, today when I look back at it, I feel it was because Swami wanted us to have a glimpse of the devotion of the people of Shimla. You know, really, that was what which struck us when we saw the welcome that Swami was given. Especially, you know, our colleagues, I, Prakash and myself, I feel we got an extra opportunity to be humble because uh, the two of us got a chance to go to the airport. All the other students went to the Shimla Mandir, Mandir, waiting for Swami to come. But we went to the airport and this airport is a decent 20 to 22 kilometers, I guess. I don't know. Because it took almost 40 minutes Mm -hmm. for the convoy to go from the airport to the place. On the way to Shimla, there are many, many small villages that you come across. Just like when we come towards Parthi. Mm -hmm. Towards Parthi, we come across so many. Mamilkunta, then there's Bedabali and so many small, small villages the same way. And therefore, almost the entire distance of 40 minutes travel in a car, we saw people on the road. And the people were so thrilled. And then we suddenly noticed that, you know, Swami's convoy, it was about 120 cars. Because so many people had come, they wanted to welcome Swami at the airport. Even at the airport, people started shouting and singing Jai Jai cars and bhajans. Each person starting their own thing. It was not like an organized welcome, you know. It was not an organized welcome in the sense, the organized part of the welcome was there. There was a band, there were some singing people, there was a Veda chanting group. But the unorganized welcome was much more emphatic and it was so much more loud, you know. Every person outpouring of devotion, a lady simply starts singing, everyone around starts singing. One person starts telling Jai Bolo and everybody follows him. So, it was a mix of a formal welcome and every heart welcoming Swami. And even as Swami's car passes on, as I said, since the convoy was so huge, many people had a difficulty identifying which is Swami's car. Because gone are the days when Swami's car is the poshest car of the convoy. Swami was using the Porte car which looks like a any other normal car. And all of the cars in the convoy are all posh cars. So, it was really a little difficult for the people to make out which car Swami is in. But that didn't seem to matter for them because they offered their salutations to every car that passed by. And, you know, I have taken a few photographs where people are prostrating to our car, where we were seated. And I realized the magnitude of Swami's grace and how people's love for Swami, it envelops anybody and anything that is associated with Swami. And I realized that all that love and devotion that I seem to be receiving was only because, only because I was associated with Swami, that's all. And that is the magic of being associated with God. When you associate yourself with God, the world treats you almost like as if you yourself are God. That is where you have to keep your level head, realize the truth of the moment and that is why I say it's a very, very humbling experience. We got a greater opportunity to be humbled. And people run across the road, you know, they take the dust and like how a yogi might apply vibhuti in three broad marks across his forehead. They're applying the dust from Swami's car tire. And it was so amazing throughout the way, throughout the way, we were just so overwhelmed. And later during a dinner session, Swami actually mentioned it. He said, the devotion of these people is something that is far beyond. And you know, Swami's uh, security people, how lucky means I feel they are because every month there would be a change in the people who are doing security duty for Swami every month or every 45 days, I don't remember. So this was a new set and they got a chance to travel with Swami to Shimla because it was during that period that they got this security 
ఓన్లీ ఛాన్స్ అండ్ టూ ఆఫ్ దెమ్ యాక్చువల్లీ హెడ్ డన్ దిస్ డ్యూటీ బిఫోర్ దే ఆర్ ఆస్కింగ్ అస్ యూనో దే ఆర్ ఆస్కింగ్ యూ హీ విత్ స్వామి ఫర్ దిస్ లాంగ్ రైట్ సో డిట్ స్వామి స్టార్ట్ ఆఫ్ ఇస్ మిషన్ ఆర్ సంథింగ్ ఫ్రమ్ షిమ్లా ఆర్ సంథింగ్ లైక్ సో ఐ నో నో వై నథింగ్ లైక్ దట్ వై ఆర్ ఆస్కింగ్ దిస్ దే సే బికాస్ సార్ దిస్ కైండ్ ఆఫ్ డివోషన్ అండ్ వెల్కమ్ వీ హెవ్ నాట్ సీన్ ఈవెన్ ఇన్ పుట్టపర్తి విచ్ ఇస్ సపోజ్ టు బి స్వామీస్ హోమ్ టౌన్ యాజ్ సచ్ యూనో సో వీ ఆర్ వండరింగ్ మేబీ దిస్ ప్లేస్ ఆల్సో జస్ట్ లైక్ హౌ స్వామి హెస్ హ్యాడ్ అండ్ బెంగళూరు వన్ మోర్ ఆశ్రమ్ లైక్ దిస్ ఇన్ షిమ్లా ఆల్సో ఇస్ యూ నో ఇస్ ఇట్ అ పాపులర్ అండ్ ఫేమస్ ఆశ్రమ్ విత్ స్వామి విజిటెడ్ హండ్రెడ్స్ ఆఫ్ టైమ్స్ సో వీ క్లియర్ దర్ డౌట్స్ బట్ దట్ వెరీ ఫ్యాక్ట్ దట్ దట్ డౌట్ అరోజ్ ఇన్ దెమ్ యూ నో యూ కెన్ గెట్ అన్ ఐడియా ఆఫ్ ద వెల్కమ్ దట్ స్వామి రిసీవ్డ్ సో దట్ ఇస్ హౌ ఐ థింక్ గాడ్ షుడ్ బి వెల్కమ్డ్ మోర్ దెన్ ఎస్ యూ కెన్ హ్యావ్ ఫ్లవర్ పెటల్స్ యూ కెన్ హ్యావ్ బ్యాండ్ యూ కెన్ హ్యావ్ బ్యాండ్ అండ్ ఎవ్రీథింగ్ బట్ ద మోస్ట్ ఇంపార్టెంట్ థింగ్ టు వెల్కమ్ స్వామి ఇన్ టు ఆర్ టౌన్ ఇన్ టు ఆర్ హౌసెస్ ఇన్ టు ఆర్ హోమ్స్ ఇన్ టు ఆర్ హార్ట్స్ ఇస్ టు ఆఫర్ ఆర్ లవ్ అండ్ డివోషన్ అండ్ ప్రేయర్స్ దట్స్ వాట్ యూ టాకింగ్ ఆఫ్ షిమ్లా విచ్ ఇస్ ఇన్ ఇండియా నో ప్రొఫెసర్ కస్తూరి రైట్స్ అబౌట్ ద వెల్కమ్ స్వామి గెట్స్ ఇన్ కంపాలా ఇన్ ఈస్ట్ ఆఫ్రికా వెన్ స్వామి వెంట్ ఇన్ సిక్స్టీ ఎయిట్ సిక్స్టీ ఎయిట్ ఓకే హ్యూ సేయింగ్ దట్ ద ప్లేన్ ల్యాండెడ్ దేర్ ఎట్ అబౌట్ టూ ఇన్ ద నైట్ ఫర్ ఎర్లీ మార్నింగ్ థర్టీ టూ అండ్ దేట్స్ గోయింగ్ బి అైలెంట్ రిసెప్షన్ ఫర్ స్వామి ఓన్లీ ద హోస్ట్ విల్ బి దేర్ అండ్ స్వామి విల్ బి రిసీవ్ అండ్ టేకన్ టు ద ప్లేస్ వర్ స్వామి స్టేయింగ్ బట్ జస్ట్ హాస్ దేర్ కమింగ్ అవుట్ ఆఫ్ ద ఏక్రాఫ్ట్ దే కుడ్ హియర్ బజన్స్ బింగ్ సంగ్ బై సంబడి అండ్ దే కేమ్ అవుట్ దే రియలైజ్ దట్ దర్ వాస్ అ గ్రూప్ ఆఫ్ డివోటీస్ వర్ కమ్ టు రిసీవ్ స్వామి అండ్ దే వర్ సిటింగ్ అండ్ సింగింగ్ బజన్స్ టిల్ స్వామి ఇస్ flight landed there wow and swami had to go out and give darshan to those people and bless them and you know told them that you come to where i'm staying i'll give you darshan there it's already so late it's so cold he sent them all away you know that is the kind of reception swami received everywhere you know going back to the story and we all started from how rama and lakshmana were received hmm. in a sense if you look at it it was just that the prince of the land were being welcomed by the subjects of the land you know there is nothing nothing devotional about it hmm. i think uh, any other kingdom which would have had a large king which had popular princes in a kingdom could have been welcomed like this and in fact swami even gives a beautiful description of how the birthdays of the the four princes were celebrated in the kingdom whether or not they were there mm-hmm. i mean every month that particular day which is supposed to be the fourth day of the waning moon or whatever is that particular day would be celebrated as the birthday of that prince a monthly birthday right mm-hmm. and it would be celebrated whether or not the you know the children were there in the kingdom wow you know that was the amount of festivity and the reverence which they had for these four princes but again coming back to the point isn't it a common thing that in a kingdom it would happen like this to explain this swami has said you know in uh, many places he would say that whenever an avatar is about to take an advent mm-hmm. and always the avatar takes in some role or the other you know here rama is born as a prince krishna rather grew up as a cowherd swami says that there will be some devotees very very exalted devotees who would be waiting to see where the lord is going to take birth mm-hmm. and they will take all the pole positions <laughs> just like we would happen during uh, welcoming swami right exactly I remember the pole positions used to be near the road humps. Road humps. Because right. Swami's car has to slow down there. And so on the road hump also on the right, correct side where Swami is. So you get a longer time darshan. Right. Or there would be places where it's a upslope. Correct. Or there are places in, on the way to Bangalore where the road narrows in such a way that you have to stop and see if there's any other vehicle coming in front. And that's where you know, many people would stand and take Swami's darshan. So all these souls would see for positions in that advent of the Lord. Hmm. In whatever role, if they join that birth, you know, they can love God. in whatever form like that way if you see the subjects of ayodhya uh, in a very you uh, know normal sense would look like they were just subjects who worship their masters correct but in the real sense they were all people who had taken those positions so that they could love the lord who came as a prince as his subject as his subject wow and you know that is where you know swami would often say devotion has many many shades to it yashoda looking at krishna as her son was also a form of devotion you know radha looking at krishna as a friend was also a form of devotion and swami makes a mention of this in the ramkatha rasa any specifically he dedicates a few a single or two pages for this stating even why vashishta and vishwamitra right. and all these sages how suddenly the concentration of sages and saints who actually have no interest in political affairs or in administration or anything they are something beyond all this how they also apparently descend to the level because a great descent has actually happened and they want to be part of that descent and therefore they to descend from their exalted and lofty statuses and heights to apparently to mundane activities so that they get a chance of being with the avatar right and the beauty of the thing is there are two extremes in this hmm. one is of course as you said sages like vasishta and the others would come down from their level of meditative states and come and involve in themselves 
in worldly activities mm-hmm. there would also be these other people whom we'll come across even in the ramayana who would have been uh, you know cursed with a certain problem you would become a stone or you would become this or you would become a rakshasa and their hope will always be like when the lord comes down as rama when the lord comes down as krishna he will come and redeem you of this curse so that event of the lord coming down is also hope for those who are stuck in a low state at the same time it's also for those people who have transcended the state but want to come back and enjoy that state basically it's a universal celebration right you know it's a moment where everybody can celebrate from those who have been punished or cursed to those who have gone beyond that state but choose to come back and enjoy that state now the prince has returned back to the kingdom and they have seen the whole uh, kingdom and they have definitely have got so many thoughts about it we don't know what exactly were their thoughts but swami writes in the ramkatha savahini that a market change came over the princess immediately after this pilgrimage and this is what i think we were referring to towards the end of last week satsang when we were comparing the two father kings that is dasharatha and shuddhodana the father of buddha both of them how different they were we were saying that buddha and rama both underwent the same kind of change and that is what we are coming to now because rama became completely withdrawn and silent after this pilgrimage and you know till now we have seen that is how it has always been that the three brothers follow rama in whatever he does and so lakshmana bharata and shatrughna too became like rama now all the four brothers are very silent they are almost lost in themselves they do not uh, seem to be bothering much about their uh, morning rituals about their food about their sleep about their play about their education nothing seems to be interesting them and they seem to be lost in a world of their own and this worried the king dasharatha and the others too and that is when dasharatha calls his trusted minister sumantra and he tells him that you know sumantra if we get a correct diagnosis what is the cause for this that is the most important in trying to find a cure so it's no use trying to suggest ways to you know improve this apparently low condition of the four children so why don't you go and find out what is the cause for this thing that has happened now sumantra goes to rama because he knows that if he can get the diagnosis of rama right that is the same diagnosis that will hold good for the three brothers because these three brothers were nothing but a reflection of rama i mean that itself is a beautiful message for all of us as to how one should behave if one wants to be related to the lord you know in that sense if you are related to the lord you have to be like the lord and the three brothers were perfect examples of being brothers to rama so sumantra goes to rama and he cannot directly go and ask him because he is a prince sumantra is a minister he can't go and tell a prince what's wrong something's funny going through you maybe dasharatha could ask that from his son but sumantra definitely cannot so sumantra goes and talks normal things you know day to day things uh, affairs of the kingdom and trying to get rama's opinion on different things and he observes that rama is correctly and intelligently answering all his questions and yet sumantra himself is able to perceive that the eagerness the enthusiasm and uh, the kind of you know the way swami writes it is if you ask one question you get 10 different replies from the princes because they are so eager to interact they are so eager to talk to each other and right. you know build build up a conversation but here it doesn't seem to be like that the intent seems to be just answer to the point and cut the conversation as fast as possible keep silence so he observes this so there is nothing on which he can pin rama to because rama has answered everything at the same time sumantra also knows in his heart that this is definitely a market change a sea change in all the four brothers and not able to do anything else he goes back to dasharatha and reports what he saw he says that you know there's nothing wrong in the sense they are able to answer everything they are intelligent they are thinking everything is same but yeah there is a difference i know they are not answering the way they used to be and this is what sumantra reports you know but he is not able to diagnose still what is the cause for this but he is able to catch all the symptoms and convey to dasharatha dasharatha is not exactly thrilled with this because the symptoms he too had known he is now very eager to know what is the cause and i think that is when they try out all the options and sumantra was chosen because of that trip which he made with those you know princes hmm. where he builds a very good rapport with them and that's when uh, sumantra is called and in fact dasharatha asks him you know did anything happen in that trip which disturbs them did you know did they see something which was uh, not very pleasant or did they ask you to do something which you could not accomplish hmm. that's when sumantra says that you know that's definitely not the case because you know they were so active all through the trip there were places where they wanted things to be built for the pilgrims they wanted uh, facilities to be improved and everywhere we spoke about it the last week sumantra being a very perfect minister he executes whatever was right and what the princes 
wanted him to do. So he says that there is no reason why they should be so upset. It was such a fulfilling trip for all of us. And one more reason that people they think about is probably that you know having achieved adolescence, having reached their teenage years. Right. This is the time when adolescence strikes, and the we know that the hormones. Uh, <laughs> that is one more theory that is proposed, but again, you know, it's not a confident diagnosis. What exactly has gone wrong with Rama and his brothers? That is the question that is foremost on all the people in the kingdom's mind and they want to try to keep it as secret as possible from the people and they want to keep it within the confines of the palace. And I'm sure that this is the question that is going on in the minds of all our listeners too. But we will come back to that and enjoy the discussion on how actually what is apparently a problem is actually, I think, you know, we'll keep that as a secret, Prem. We'll take this little break. Dear listeners, enjoy this song, but be there on the other side of the break. We are going to have some really riveting and wonderful discussion. Chandra Kripalu Vajamana 
back dear listeners we are in that point where the four brothers have come back from that pilgrimage they were sent out to by Dashrata but they've come back with a different problem or so it seems because they have completely transformed in their approach to life they seem to be seeking solitude all the time they're very removed from the pleasures of the palace and that is what has been troubling everybody in the palace Dashrata the queens and the minister so finally as always you know every problem in the kingdom the last resort has always been to turn to Vasishta and be it before the Putra Kamishti Yagna we spoke of or even when these prince were in the middle of their pilgrimage Swami says that the queens would go to Vasishta to find out where they were if the messengers had not come back in time to tell them about their well-being and you know where they were at that moment. Even after the naming ceremony when Lakshmana and Shatukna right. are crying incessantly. Even that. So, so it had become almost tradition as if do your best and then Vasishta will do right. the rest. <laughs> the last resort is always uh, Sage Vasishta. So Dashrata invites Vasishta to the palace and they explain the whole problem to him. But you know, interestingly the main problem was it was not really a, a violent problem in that sense. Because mm. it was just that these children had, I mean, seemed to have lost their vibrance and, you know, the joy for the uh, zest for life. The zest for life. But they were absolutely normal. It was not like they were misbehaving or any, anything like that. Mm. And that is a beautiful thing because they just withdrawn from everything which gave them joy. And they preferred each other's company more than anything else. And as you said, it their was... Their own company. Right. Fact. It started with Rama and because Rama would not go out and play, the other prince would not like to go out and indulge themselves. And that's how these four would always stay locked up in the room. Hmm. And Swami says that's when Vasishta comes into the picture. Yes. And when Vasishta comes into the picture, you know, Swami says he starts off by reminding Rama of the pledge that is taken when they pass out as students. You know, that is, interestingly, that is the same Veda chant that is done on every convocation. Veda right. Manucha Charyo Ante Vasina Manushasti, Satyam Vada, Dharmam Chara, and then uh, Matra Devo Bhava, Pitru Devo Bhava. So, Swami writes that Vasishta reminds Rama saying, you know, Matra Devo Bhava, Pitru Devo Bhava, this is what has been taught to you that mother is God, father is God and how can you plunge your parents into such sorrow and whatever it is. Of course, you are doing everything technically right but definitely you know that your mother and father are in sorrow. How can you put them in such sorrow, Rama? This is what Vashita asks Rama and Rama's response to Vashishta is equally stunning for the parents because first of all, they are amazed that Vashishta is asking Rama like this and then Rama tells Vashishta to the sage, he says, revere it, sir, who is the mother, who is the father? What is this relationship that you talk about. You know, this question which if you don't know the tone in which it has been asked and if you don't know with the calm and peace and serenity with which Rama asks, may be mistaken for audacity or may be mistaken for a mental disorder. But the serenity and equipoise with which Rama asks, it brings a big smile on the face of Vashishta because he realizes that these are the Advaitic questions that any spiritual seeker must ask. I remember Prem, you were saying that this whole Ramayana is actually nothing but the journey of a spiritual seeker and it's almost as if Rama is acting out his part in order to give a message for mankind because these are the first few questions that a spiritual seeker asks when he possibly comes face to face with truth. Very true and that's something which we've been telling all through in this series why Rama is called Atma Rama because he represents the Atma and he represents the journey of that soul. The individual soul. The individual soul or the Jivatma as Mm. Swami would say and it is said that according to the story Rama goes to this pilgrimage Mm. and there he meets a lot of saints and sages Mm. and he gets into extended discussions with them Mm. and that's when he gets into this discussions of Vedanta or you know Advaita philosophy and he comes back and then there is a total change in his behavior he doesn't want to wear fine clothes he doesn't want to eat delicacies he doesn't want to move with others and as you said when Vasishta comes and asks when Rama asks these questions you know when the Jivatma and the Paramatma are one who is the mother who is the father Mm. when I am not this body why should I respect those who are elder to this body, bodies that are elder to this body.
body and these these are the kind of questions that rama asks and immediately vasishta realizes that this is not the questions of a, a confused man questions of a disturbed person but these are the questions or these are the conclusions of one who has seen the truth who has come face to face with the truth hmm. and it, generally it is said that when a sadhaka takes up a spiritual sadhana and in fact many of us devotees also would have gone through it you know we have heard swami speak of advaita many times in hmm. uh, the discourses you know we have spoken about this before we just listen to it we just take the parts which are interesting the jokes which make us laugh we laugh for it <laughs> you know where swami talks of seva we get enthused and we which take we feel that we can right? do we, we can, can understand do. but those parts where swami is talking about your god and your divine we're not very excited about it but there will be a time when we suddenly realize that my god this is the essential teaching of swami and this is the ultimate reality and that is when you will be so unsettled you know you could use that word not completely in that sense Hmm. because you are wondering if this is the reality then what am i living in if that is the reality then you know all the actions you do in life suddenly fall out of context they appear meaningless appear meaningless and this is a moment which every sadhaka goes through and that was what was represented by this short episode in the ramayana where and Rama in fact says, why why should i be a prince why should i rule why should i give respect to elders you know when there is only one and that one is not divisible in fact swami goes on to write that this leads to a meaningful and beautiful dialogue between lord rama and sage vashishta and this dialogue between rama and vashishta is what has today come to be known as the yoga vashishta right. it is a treatise which delineates the path for every spiritual aspirant and as you said the beginning of the spiritual journey are these very questions which question what we have been doing till now in life because i remember in one discourse i'm not remembering exactly which discourse but i remember reading it in my diary having noted it down mm-hmm. one discourse after the poem that swami always starts off with okay he said very clearly everything that appears as real is actually unreal and everything that you think is unreal is actually real it's almost like and then swami went on to say whatever appears as illusory is actually the truth whatever appears to you as the truth is actually illusory and this is what you know i think you mean when you say that's unsettling because till now you're taught to treat as the truth and live you know this is your elder this is your younger one this is this is a place of worship this is a place you avoid this is good this is bad all that you think are the realities of life those are told as illusory then you realize that there's nothing good nothing bad nothing elder nothing younger what is time for the eternal one what is good and bad for the one who is beyond gunas beyond qualities so whatever was till now real becomes unreal and whatever till now seemed as some kind of a you know unreal illusory thing is now real and therefore this state of transition for the sadhaka very true and in, in a sense you know we always see normalcy from our point of view hmm. you know if you are someone, exactly. if you are excited in a certain situation someone else who is not excited about that appears abnormal generally we are happy when uh, happy tidings are coming and when we are despondent when something bad happens when we see somebody who is not reacting the same way we think there's something wrong with that fellow no something must be off exactly you can see this in neutral situations for example the rains yesterday i mean there'll be some who would have celebrated the rain yesterday and i know definitely for sure some who really felt bad because it was not timely i mean it was right. an untimely rain which can actually cause havoc so for each of them the other appears to be like a shocked reaction wrong reaction you know i remember an incident that was narrated in Swami's presence mm-hmm. when uh, it was said that Swami the people who are you know fully involved in the world and they are totally into this they feel that you know this worship going beyond God all this is crazy and people who do that are mad so mm-hmm. what is the truth Swami you know and the natural expected answer was that you know Swami will say that the people who are going beyond God awesome that's the thing you have to do other people are mad but you know Swami said that's correct both are mad one is mad behind god one is mad behind world both are madness and i remember in one discourse also swami said this swami asked this question some people go behind the world and for others they appear as mad for these people these people appear as mad who is actually mad so both this question you know i was expecting swami to support us you know us, us meaning those who seek god but swami said both are mad both are madnesses <laughs> i felt swami what is this you have let us down you know <laughs> you have also branded us and categorized us along with the others mm-hmm. but then you know swami's next statement was however among all the madnesses that afflict man god madness is the least harmful and the most beneficial ah that was the redeeming statement that i was looking for and it felt so thrilling you know yes as you said one person's normalcy is the other person's abnormalcy in the same way one person's madness is the other person's normal thing and for the other person this will appear as mad so in this mad mad, mad i remember that song it's a mad 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 world in this mad 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 world among all the madnesses i think we are really blessed in that sense that 
we have got god madness let us hope that this madness for swami grows and we become permanent patients in that mental hospital where the cure is swami you know there is this wonderful story which somebody had told i don't know if narrated this before in the satsang mm-hmm. there is this uh, island kingdom where all the subjects and the king and the queen and everybody are all blind mm. and there is uh, one man who sets out sailing and his there's a shipwreck and he lands up in this island and when he lands there he finds this very weird situation where this whole kingdom everybody is blind and when they realize that here is a man who can see they start celebrating him you know here is somebody who has an extra power because they're all children are born blind and nobody mm. is able to see so here is somebody who has an extra faculty who is able to see so he's taken to the court and he's given all uh, royal uh, treatment there and welcome and everything and then they bring you know a bowl of fruits they say this is the delicacy of our land they say this is a very auspicious fruit which all of us have so we are offering it to you because you are our honored guest and the moment he eats that fruit he also becomes blind okay okay and then you know he understands that maybe the blindness is because of this fruit so then he he's taken around in the kingdom and there they show him this plant which is worshiped which is the plant which yields this that fruit, fruit huh? so they worship this plant and say this is the most the special plant and this is the fruit which you had and then they show him another tree and they say that is the cursed tree never go there and the fruit of that tree is poisonous so never eat that so this man gets suspicious and one day when there's nobody around he goes to that particular tree and eats the fruit and he gets back aside wow huh. so then he realizes that blindness has become so normal in this kingdom that they found that eating this fruit was causing this blindness they couldn't come to that conclusion and for generations they thought that this fruit which was giving them sight was the one which is poisonous and i'm sure if he had gone about telling that you know that forbidden plant would have flogged he would have been flogged <laughs> You know, they say that in the island of the blind, the one-eyed man is a king, the two-eyed man is a villain. It's almost like that in the world today, Prem. You know, in a world that is uh, replete with ignorance, intelligence is appreciated. But intelligence is only one-eyed. Swami always says, you know, science is only one-half of the circle. Without spirituality, it doesn't become complete. So, intelligence is one-eyed. And Swami also says, you know, knowledge has to be skilled. Then only it will give balance. Only knowledge is of no use if it's skilled. So, therefore, it is only one-eyed. Intelligence is one-eyed and it is appreciated. Because in the land of the blind, the (laughs) one-eyed... person is the king, intelligence is the king. But wisdom, which is both eyes, is not appreciated. It is abhorred, it is condemned, it is criticized. So, that is the sad state of affairs. And that is why, in the spiritual path, I feel one of the most important traits is to be open. To be open, it is so difficult actually, you know, because throughout our life, we are forming impressions and each impression gives us some kind of conclusions of our own. And suddenly, when we see something that is being told that is totally opposite of what we have concluded, we feel either it's abnormal or it's wrong. We are not open to actually accept that it might be something that I have to change about. And that is one thing I feel that we should always keep open on the spiritual path. And you know, this kind of an attitude was what tempered Vasishtha's response. Because mm-hmm. when he saw Rama, he did not say that something was wrong with him. He found that everything is right with this boy. Don't be worried about him. And interestingly, you know, every time they had a problem, they went back to Vasishtha. Mm-hmm. One common concluding statement which Vasishtha would give, whether it was the mother or it was the king or the others, was that don't worry your son is not a normal son. These children are not ordinary children. They have not come here like any other. It's not an ordinary birth. Hmm. And I think that is what even Vasishtha was repeating. Even though he was here to solve a problem, he said, no, there's nothing wrong with these children. Nothing can go wrong with these children. And maybe even Vasishtha was playing his part when he realized, as I said, this is a predicament which every sadhaka goes through. Hmm. And when he found that the Lord was playing the role of a sadhaka, and he was Lord was playing that role of a man being in that sense confused when he comes face to face with truth, he said, this is a beautiful point to give a work as profound as Yoga Vasishta. And if we see Swami also no, in his life, he does the same thing to us. You know, when we come to him confused totally, his first statements are Prema Swarupalara, embodiments of love. You are children of immortality. I mean, what Vasishta told to Rama's parents, because of course Vasishta knew that Rama actually doesn't need it. He is just playing his role. So what Vasishta tells to the parents, don't worry, these are not ordinary children, these are divine. If we see Prem, is that not what Swami has done to each and every one of us in our lives too because whenever we come to him he says all this is fine but Bangaru dear children don't forget or dear devotees don't forget you and me are one you are God means the ultimate solution is the realization of the truth of oneness with God and that is what Vashishta doled out then that is what Swami doled out to us now you know it is like let us say that somebody was walking on a road trips and falls into a ditch of slush hmm. now how stupid it would be of that person to say that I am dirty I am dirty I am dirty I am full of slush. 
when a man comes by and says that you're not dirty hmm. the dirt is on you you're not that dirt or reality is this person who is behind that dirt and who's, who can be anytime removed from the dirt and lamenting over your dirtiness you're not getting out of that dirt and that was what Swami did Swami said don't associate yourself with that sin don't associate yourself with that you know that flaw I remember sometime back when you narrated that when you went up to Swami and said how do I get away from desires Swami said separation is important no, not separation right yes. That idea that I am not this sin, I am not this mistake, I am not the one. That is why Swami kept on repeating that you are beyond mistake, you are beyond flaws, you are beyond all these worldly attachments. You know, incidentally, I just have got a few excerpts from the Yoga Vashishta. Okay. And they just echo these very things what we have been discussing, you know. One of the statements is, The great remedy for the long-lasting disease of samsara is the enquiry of who am I? To whom does this samsara belong? Which alone will entirely cure this disease of samsara. Another statement, Nothing whatsoever is born or dies anywhere at any time. It is Brahman alone appearing in the form of the world. Pure Advaita. Knowledge of truth is the fire that burns up all hopes and desires as if they are nothing but dried blades of grass. That is what is known by the word Samadhi, not simply remaining silent. So that is another beautiful revelation. Rama was in Samadhi during these days. It it was not the physical silence that we speak about, but an inner stilling. Inner stilling that happens by silencing one's thoughts. And that is what is again amplified by the next excerpt that I have got here from the Yoga Vishita, which says, The moon is one, but on agitated water, it produces multiple reflections. Similarly, the ultimate reality is one, yet it appears to be many in a mind that is agitated by thoughts. You know, the beauty of that whole Yoga Vasisha text is this, knowing that reality that oneness alone is the truth, how do you live in the world of duality? That with is, that knowledge. Right, with that knowledge. And, you know, continuing your duty, continuing your role. Not appearing like a sore right, thumb. Right. Hmm. And still be ever immersed in that thought of oneness. That was where Yoga Vasisha was so special. And in fact, you know, in the description of Yoga Vasisha, they say about Veer Sarvarkar, one of the you know foremost oh, freedom fighters. Freedom fighters, yes. Huh, now, he says that he was a very, very active man. He was in active uh, freedom struggle in those days. Hmm. And he picked up Yoga Vasishta. He would say, whenever I would read Yoga Vasishta, I would lose the desire and the yearning to do anything. Oh. He said, the thought that I have to achieve something would be absolutely removed from my mind. And he would go into a deep sense of peace and it would take him much time after that to come out of it and continue with his work. Oh. Now, that was the power of Yoga Vasishta. You know, Swami writes, in the Ramkatha Rasavahini that this whole dialogue between Vashishta and Rama is sparked off when Rama says what is the Jiva the individual what is Prakriti that is the creation and what is the Paramatma what is the interrelationship between these three are they discrete are they one you know Swami says that this is what sparks off the entire dialogue and as I was reading that I couldn't help almost similar but an, a little additional kind of statement that Swami makes in his discourses when he asks what is the relationship between the Vyashti, that is the individual, the Samashti, that is the society, the Srushti, which is creation, and Parameshti, God. And Swami himself answers the question saying that this is a hierarchy where Vyashti is part of Samashti, which is part of Srushti, which is part of Parameshti, just like finger is a part of the palm, which is part of the hand, which is part of the body. And you know, though this seems like a kind of a flow chart or some kind of a connecting diagram, it holds lot of messages in terms of the world today, you know. We see a lot of problem, global warming, pollution, problems that, you know, threaten to swallow the earth itself you know, such kind of problems or not actually earth, swallow the entire mankind maybe because the earth has survived far greater disasters and will go on. It is the human species which seem to be in trouble with global warming and such problems. But as Swami says, you know, they are all connected. So if we see problems in Srushti, it is because of problems in the Samashti, which is society. Problems in society get amplified and they appear as problems in Srushti, that is. So, uh, you know, when Swami said that it is actually the fall in Dharma that leads to to the creation of earthquakes and tsunamis. And if we see it statistically, it almost feels to be true. You know, because the number that we have been hit in recent times there definitely seems to be an increase in all these natural disasters happening and if we go by the formula Swami has given us it is due to a rot in the society and when we say rot in society we come up by saying you know corruption this person is bad this leader is bad this is what it is but again Swami's formula shows us that the problem in society is again linked to the Vyashti to the individual so though it may seem like how on earth is this going to change the world if I become good and if I follow values from Swami's rule of the thumb and formula 
it is clear that the transformation or change has to begin in the individual when individual follows values and is in harmony then only society will be in harmony then alone will the srishti creation be in harmony and once samashti and srishti get in order the connection between vyashti and parmeshti that is man and god becomes very strong and clear now isn't that the reason why even swami narrates that chinnakatha of putting the man together so that the world is also put together on the other side you remember that chinnakatha right. i think a father gets for his son basically a puzzle which is nothing but a world map and uh, gives it to him and says put it together let's see how much time you take to get it and the father goes out and comes back after 5 minutes this boy has already assembled this world map and he's so mm. surprised he said how did you put the world together you know it's so complex the little child how did you know that this was the best way and the boy says it's it was very simple and he turns the whole puzzle you know upside down and behind there was an image of man mm. and he says i just got this right so the back side got right by itself and swami says see this is the essence of what you have to do in society if you are able to correct man the world will set itself right by itself and you know when swami says set right the man what is a man that swami is referring to you know we often think man is you me that is his body this mind but when swami says set right the man you know that is where i feel it is a mistake that we make we think about correcting the body you know because even to this day the body of man may be fully fine and yet man is not fine we know it so what is that man that is referring to and that is where yoga vishita also comes in because yoga vishita defines what is actually this man meaning jeevi jeevi that is the individual soul that is a beautiful word in sanskrit for what we call in english as man <laughs> it they use the word jeevi which is the individual soul so and interestingly that's different from the atman you know that is the beauty of the sanskrit language what you call as jivatma is separate from atma ha uh, before we go into that i think you know it is most beautiful to listen to our master swami going on and speaking about what we think as man is not actually man you know we think the body to be man but the body as swami describes it when you hear it you will realize definitely no this is not me this is definitely not me and then swami goes on in the same discourse to further dilate on who actually we are with a beautiful example i think it is best that we hear it in swami's voice ಮಾಡಿನಾಪುಕಂಪಾಗಂಪಾಗಂಪಾಗಂಪಾಗಂಪಾಗಂಪಾಗಂಪಾಗಂಪಾಗಂಪಾಗಂಪಾಗಂ
that was the clip and you know it had two times the same poem coming dear listeners we just felt it would be beautiful that you hear the old clip of swami singing that poem and then the other one where swami explained so beautifully i think that second clip was taken from swami's ugadi discourse second april 2003 that was the discourse clip from that and there swami makes it very clear he says how does it affect you what happens to the handkerchief you know in the same way swami says therefore i am not bothered what happens to the body because i know that the body is not me and you know i am reminded of the other kerchief example that swami would often give he would say that when i say this is my kerchief it means that i am not the kerchief the kerchief is separate from me because it belongs to me in the same manner when i say this is my body it means that the body belongs to me which means i am not the body you know this what swami so beautifully tells in his discourse is the subject of the yoga vashishta the dialogue between rama and vashishta right the idea of understanding which is the individual entity and what is the relationship with that entity with the ultimate you know that is what yoga vashishta is all about and it's a text i have not got to read through it it's supposed to be filled with stories oh okay and the whole explanation is in in the form of anecdotes of stories of kings and princes and what they've gone through the yoga vasishta it's believed to be one of the largest works on advaita largest and oldest and in fact you know the beauty of the thing is some people who read it they say that the entire buddhism is actually born from this text in uh-huh. fact the idea that all of hinduism is about worship and devotion and rituals is completely smashed by this one text which is part of ramayana Oh, wow. because they say it has in it everything it speaks about devotion it speaks about you know going beyond the body it speaks about oneness advaita everything you know talks about nirvana what buddha came much later and spoke about and yet it is part of the ramayana right and you know that is the beauty of sanatan dharma because swami would never call it hinduism swami would never call it hindu religion hmm. swami would always refer to the word sanatan dharma meaning the eternal way of life eternal way of life because sanatan dharma became the religion hindu only when other religions came in hmm. you know because the other religions needed to have their identity they made what was never a religion a religion and that's what happened i think mm. that is a beauty imagine in a text of ramayana and rama is arguably the most worshiped form in this land of bharat in the middle of a text which glorifies this lord there is this gem of advaita which actually you know blunts this whole glorification and says that all this glorification is nonsense right. because there's nobody great nobody lesser there's nothing you know really phenomenal to even think of that and it's it happens in such a short part in the ramayana saying that you know this is the essence but you can still carry on with the story you know, <laughs> yeah you can if, enjoy because it will also lead you to this as we go through and you know this analogy of the individual sadhaka going going through different processes in his life to attain that ultimate understanding we will see that why the story of ramayana or maybe for that matter any other story we spoke about swami's life they're not just stories that we listen and regale and, and enjoy they have a very very deep inner significance with which we can relate to in an individual level you know prem before we proceed with the story of what happened after the yoga vashishta that is after this discussion between rama and uh, vashishta after which you know in the worldly sense rama became normal it becomes very clear that this was just a drama that was done by the lord so that this gem this piece of work that we spoke about comes alive i want to just maybe take a digression into a line of thought based on what swami said you know in the discourse you know swami said that i don't get affected there's no pain because i'm not the body because i'm the indweller and who is the dehi are dehi e deva devudu he says i am the indweller and the indweller is god which means i am god I am God and therefore it doesn't matter whether my hip is broken or my leg is broken. You know, it may appear as if that when Swami is having adoring devotees who take every word that he speaks as the truth, you are able to speak this. But if we see Swami's life, you know, from his childhood, he has always spoken this. He has always spoken this truth even when it resulted in his head being, you know, shaved and the scratches made and lime juice poured and literally Swami was tortured. All he had to do was just say that you know I am a normal boy. I am a normal boy and I am nothing special and it would have been the end of the torture but he didn't he continued to say the truth what we can call as the inconvenient truth because people apparently don't like to listen to it you know when jesus said that he was the messenger of the lord most of the people were thrilled and they enjoyed being in the company of the messenger of the lord and that is when jesus began to refer to the lord as his father now this actually made some people dislike him they did not want him to take a divine heritage how can you be the son of god and finally you know when it is recorded in the bible when he, jesus says that me and my father are one they pelt him with stones apparently proclaiming the truth about one's divinity or one's unity with the lord is an inconvenient truth people don't want to listen and i feel it's not about people's mentality 
boundaries it's just about our ego where ego is defined as the body attachment ego is just uncomfortable with the reality with the truth that we are one with the divine you know this is what i actually wanted to say I means this was the introduction what is it that gives courage for people like jesus like swami like rama here to proclaim the truth now though you and me are theoretically aware of the truth we never get the courage now this was a question that came and i was very curious and incidentally during one of the interactions with some youth this same question i posed to them you know okay and when i posed to them different answers started coming and i'll just sum up the whole thing and make it a presentation so that we can get it done in 5 minutes or 10 minutes mm-hmm. you know it's almost like this say now let me do that on you itself now suppose i give you a neem leaf and for your reference and you taste it and i tell you now this is what i call as bitter this is what the world calls as bitter so now you have a reference for bitter and you have had neem leaf okay then i give you a spoonful of sugar and tell now this is what is sweet this is what the world calls as sweet now having known this now just imagine if suppose your parents were to come and tell you that prem sugar is actually bitter what will your response be what will it be and you won't agree right yes you won't agree you won't agree that it is sweet even if your teacher comes what if a scientist comes and tells you, you know i have the, i have proved it scientific see the whole research is there for you i have proved that sugar is bitter what will your response be right you would still go with your experience right? naturally you will go with your experience so you know the same thing happened with the youth also you know when you question them irrespective of what anyone says you just stick because that's your experience right now what if prem i come hold a gun to your head and tell that if you say sugar is sweet i'm pulling this trigger you will be dead now tell me sugar is what will you say i think it depends on how much i love my life yes so right. any normal person in would right. say will agree that sugar is better right now what if i tell that i don't hold the gun to your head i hold the gun to a plastic pot and say that if you say sugar is sweet i'm going to destroy this pot what will you say i mean why would that bother me right exactly <laughs> you know this questioning you know led to such a beautiful discovery i don't care what happens to the pot because why because that's not me but i care what happens to my body because i feel this is me but in the case of swami if you see as he himself said it in the discourse right now we have heard it where swami says this body is not me and therefore it doesn't matter what to do to this body and he is not just stating it that's what happened in childhood he said you want to scratch my head you want to shave my head you want to put pungent substances in my eyes you want to torture my body thinking you're torturing me go ahead because this is not me and just like you know the air in which you said you know that's what i want to highlight the air with which you said the easy manner casual manner in which you said how should that affect me if you destroy the pot i'll i say that sugar is sweet it is with that same casual and normal air that swami said how does it matter what happens to his body whether the hip bone breaks or whatever because here the case was not about sugar being sweet it was about me being god i am god because you know if you look in the other way if only swami had said i am a saint i think the whole world would have worshiped him recently i had been to this himalayan trip where i came across so many saints many of them who have passed on but if you read their lives prem they had so many strange habits you know i won't go into the names but there is this saint revered amazing phenomenal miracles he has done but he had this habit of throwing away his clothes and being in the nude in public mm-hmm. and people said that you know that shows that he has gone beyond body attachment i was just thinking if swami were to do that how the media would criticize him that is because irrespective of what swami does he is going to be criticized why because swami did not say he is a saint he said he is god in the same way we throw stones at jesus because you said you are god it's an inconvenient truth and when i wonder what is it that gives absolute fearlessness to jesus to swami to all these realized masters to state the inconvenient truth the fearlessness comes because they have zero body attachment and for them their body is what that plastic pot is for you and i think that is again what the yoga vashishta is all about very true and you know talking about how swami went about it if you look at it almost every other person who said that i'm not this body or i am god or any proclamation which is beyond our perception was ill treated by society you could say that they stood the test of the mockery of people around but in a sense if not for that it would have not revealed their intensity it would not have revealed their ability to stick to that truth exactly you know if you look at the life of ramana maharshi all his life he said i'm not this body you're not this body we're not the body you know he suffered from cancer towards the end of his life there were huge lesions on his body on his shoulder and he was given you know immense pain even then when they went and asked bhagwan is it paining for you he said it is paining for the body he said it's not paining for me it's paining for the body you know and in a realized person these pains coming is for us 
for us so that they can reveal their real tenacity to us and if you look at it from the point of view of people like us you know even we very often say that after all i'm not the body mm. you know that's a way in which we can get over our problems you know many times i i see myself doing that you know, finally we are not <laughs> this individual we are divinity when we come through difficulties in our life it is a god given opportunity which swami is giving to us saying that try out that wisdom now and you know, it, it and is you not to come challenge out you it is not mm. to you know mock at you it is that god is giving you i'm giving you a you know situation try it out now strengthen that belief for yourself because when you stick to that belief in that moment of difficulty it gives you immense confidence and that is the boon which and it definitely gives. solves the problem too right i think we quoted this dialogue many times as a movie called evan almighty hmm. where god apparently comes down as a man and there there's a dialogue he explains you know he says if you ask god for patience does he give you patience in a platter he gives you situations where you can be patient when you ask god for strength he does not give you strength he gives you situations where you can display your strength because the strength is already there hmm. and i think that is what yoga vasishta was about and that is what even rama was showing in his life because as we are going to step into the other episodes following this particular incident which brought out the yoga vasishta we will see that one after the other there is going to be happiness and sadness and happiness and sadness coming in rama's life where he remained that calm self which looked at vasishta and said if i am not this body why should i be bothered you know with that same equanimity rama is going to face everything that is going to come at his life and that is what the rest of ramkatha rasvani is about exactly it shows that you know all the things that rama actually went through it is not what rama went through it is what we as listeners and readers go through seeing at rama's life because from this we realize the way swami has written that rama did not actually go through anything in the sense he didn't go through the ups he didn't go through the downs right. he was always immersed in that reality of his self and all the things that we think that rama is going through is actually what we go through reading his stories go through the ups and downs and the way rama dealt with all those teaches us on how equanimous we should be how strong we should be and how we should persevere in being seated in the ultimate truth and go about our lives too and i think you know with that the time in our studio is almost 158 just two more minutes for the satsang to end with gratitude to swami for giving us this opportunity to even talk about such lofty things i don't think otherwise prem i would have ever even have come to know what is yoga vasishta till now yoga vasishta till a week back it was just a term for me today at least intellectually something that i have learned about yoga vasishta is only because of this beautiful opportunity called afternoon satsang that swami has bestowed on us so with gratitude to swami for this with salutations at the feet of hanuman who is always here listening to rama stories i think his only complaint must be that you're talking so less of rama <laughs> <laughs> but i think the gnani that he is he is enjoying it because we are talking so much about sai rama Absolutely. and i don't think he sees any difference in the two <laughs> Right Hanuman I think he is nodding <laughs> though I cannot see him he is smiling at me So dear listeners with that we'll conclude this segment we offer this at Rami's Lotus Feet thank you for being with us this is Prem from Team Radio Sai and with me is Arvind we thank you all for this opportunity and being with us Jai Sai Ram Sai Ram You just heard an episode of our radio program Afternoon Satsang. This was a segment of Radio Sai's Thursday Live hosted by Prem and Arvind at 12:30 p.m. Indian Standard Time on Thursdays only on Asia Stream of Radio Sai Global Harmony. The discussion was on The Ramakatha Rasavahini, a book written by Swami, and today's episode was first broadcast live on 22nd May 2014. Dear listeners, we hope you like this program. As always, send us your feedback to listener@radiosai.org. Thank you and loving Sairam from Prashant Nilayam.